Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and boy, do we have good news to share. Uh, some of it, well, some of it's a little bittersweet, but we definitely have good news to share. Buck Storm is going to be with us in the second half hour of the program to talk about his brand new novel called Venus Sings the Blues. And when Buck shows up, he always leaves us copies of his books. And so it's nice to have something to give away on a Friday. But <clears throat> we're going to kick things off with a good news story that is a little political in nature. We might have saved this for Super Tuesday, but I wanted to share it with you today because oftentimes we in the body of Christ get frustrated at the polling places, at the voting booth, and we don't really, well, we give up. I mean, the statistics say, indicate that 25 million Americans who are Christian um, are absent at the polling place. They just don't vote. And, you know, this next story, is a, it's good news for people of the faith. It's actually, I think it's good news for all Americans, but especially for the Christian faith. When you consider the story we talked about yesterday, where public schools have seen a dramatic decline in the number of students. And I'm not saying that's good for the sake of ding-dong, the witch is dead, get rid of the public school system. Not at all. I mean, are you kidding? Public schools fed and clothed me when I was younger and my sister and my brother. My parents were both, my dad was an administrator after starting out in the classroom. My mom was a teacher for 30 years. There was a time when California public schools were the apple of, or maybe the envy of everybody else in the U.S. And they've just become too politicized. And what we saw over the three years of the pandemic is that more and more people said enough of this. We're tired of it. We, we've seen this happen so many times before when people are in the system and they think, well, okay, it's, you know, my property taxes pay for it. It's part of the deal. Uh, the school should be good enough to do, you know, basic education. And, you know, I can't afford private school. So this, that, and the other thing. Well, more and more parents are discovering that homeschool is an option, that Christian school is a more affordable option than they thought. Um, even private schools that don't have a religious bent are faring better than a lot of public schools. And part of the reason why this has become so contentious, quite frankly, is the public school system has union representation and in some cases constitutional mandate. I mean, here in the People's Republic of California, California Constitution was signed, what, in 1849? Public education was established, was enshrined in the California Constitution at that point. And basically, here's what we're saying. We're seeing that there are a number of people <clears throat> who've said, okay, since public education is enshrined in the Constitution, you have to have it. Therefore, don't mess with the system. We'll take care of it. Everything's going to be good. Everything's going to be fine. And just, you know, let the school system do what they're going to do. Well, there was a time when California public school students reflected a very healthy environment. <clears throat> in the public school system. I mean, quite frankly, we were turning out the best and the brightest here in the state toward the top in reading and math and science and history and SAT scores and stuff like that. I mean, it, California's public school system was to be envied. Now, this is not a direct reflection of any one instructor. You may have had some great public school experiences for your kids or grandkids. And to that, I say, wonderful. I know some fantastic Christian teachers who teach in the public school, Christian educators who are in principal roles and, you know, they're serving on school boards and they're superintendents in some cases. It's wonderful. It's great to see. But one thing we did notice during the pandemic 
was that the pub public school system was not really equipped for the online learning situation, that online learning is definitely different. There's no question about that. But it also kind of shown the spotlight, if you will, on the fact that <clears throat> there are a number of public school systems across the country that have kind of gotten to the point where they realize, hey, it's the law. You have to do this. So therefore, we don't necessarily have to compete in the marketplace of ideas because we are the school system and you've got a state mandate that says you have to have this. And it's very interesting because <clears throat> one state in particular, Governor Kim Reynolds, who's the governor of Iowa, basically signed a, uh, uh, a school choice plan into law in uh, the Hawkeye State. I guess I don't, what the, don't know what their nickname is. But this is something she campaigned on. This is something that she uh, really did push. And doing so from the perspective of someone who works in the public square, she's the governor of Iowa, but also someone who is a person of faith. She basically said, look, here's the thing. During COVID, and I'm quoting her here, COVID really put a fine point on the fact that parents should be able to decide what is the best environment for their kids to be everything they can be. Uh, COVID gave parents a front row seat as to what was happening in the kids' classrooms. And a lot of the parents, quite frankly, did not like what they saw. Uh, you know, it, with no disrespect intended to the teachers who I know, many of them personally, many of them who listen to this program, who said, look, I'm going to just be honest with you, not mentioning any names or schools or school districts. But when you get right down to it, COVID did just that. The online learning thing was a joke. You could see study after study that talks about the amount of time the kids lost, literally lost. I think it was the Wall Street Journal that posted basically what the decline was for students during the pandemic. <clears throat> you had basically two years where the schools were operating all online and the kids treated it like it was a joke. The average regression for a student was nine months worth of learning, which is basically one academic year. So if you have, let's say you have a grandchild who is in their sophomore year of high school when the pandemic begins, two years later, if they've been learning online, on paper, they're a senior, but academically, they're really about a junior. But then you try to reform the educational systems and that's when you meet the National Education Association. That's when you meet the American Federation of Teachers. That's when you run into Randy Weingarten, one of the union heads, I think she's the AFT head, saying, oh, no, 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 we're not going back in a classroom until I have a guarantee that every single one of our teachers is covered and safe and is not going to get COVID from some kid and is not going to die. Now, we are coming up on the third anniversary of the pronouncement of the pandemic. Can you believe that three years later we're still talking about this? It was easily one of the most profound culture changes in our lifetime, if not in American history. The idea that the government would come through and say, there's a virus, no one can see it, we can see what the effects are, we see how it's impacting people with poor health, and we're going to make these decisions. We're closing down schools, we're closing down public gatherings, we're closing down churches, we're closing down businesses. We'll tell you when it's safe to go back. Here's the reality. COVID, I, I, I spoke with a medical official, this is probably May or June of 2020, almost three years ago, who told me, I think, Roger, this person said, 
I think we're going to discover soon enough that COVID is an endemic, but not a pandemic. Endemic means it's a real virus. People are going to get it. They're going to get infected by it. Their health is going to be compromised by it. But pandemic is something you do to stop the spread of something that's deadly. And COVID in and of itself didn't bear the weight of that. I mean, I'm Googling right now. How many Americans tested positive for COVID-19 from 2020 through 2022? See what the statistic says. What percentage of American adults, about half of American adults, were infected at some point or another with COVID-19? According to a Harvard study, 35% of Americans, so basically one in three, indicated that they had contracted COVID. Okay. Now I'm just doing the cumulative cases from 2020 to 2022. This is from statista.com. Okay. Um, The cumulative cases week by week, you can see the whole thing. Sure. I'll allow all the different (laughs) gobbledygook to go along with the number of cases worldwide or in the U S excuse me, had reached about a hundred million. So that's one out of every three Americans. Now, as of November 11th, 2022, almost 96.8 million confirmed cases, et cetera, et cetera. It impacted all 50 states. But what was the death toll? Do you remember how many people died from COVID? The million people? At 94% of those people died of COVID and. In other words, it was, it was COVID with, not COVID as the main source of death in the United States. We shut down the bulk of our nation for a prolonged period of time, sent people to court if they wanted to have church services over something that turned out to be, as my doctor friend told me, an endemic rather than a pandemic. But we want to be safe rather than sorry, Roger. I get it. But look at what we did to our kids when it comes to education. Now, there's good news with regard to this, and that is that a lot of kids thrived during the pandemic because their parents got them out of the public school hybrid model and got them into a private school, in many cases, a Christian school, where their academics flourished. Iowa's plan is that kind of on steroids. And quite frankly, I think it's good, not because it hurts public school and helps private school, but rather because it empowers the people who need to make the decisions for their kids and their education to actually make those decisions. We'll talk about who those people are coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know, I just finished a meeting in Africa with a group of guys and I said to them, here's the deal. They want to know how things are going in the United States. Hey, I'm not going to lie to you. Things are crummy. But I said, what you do every day is you get up every day, gentlemen, and you realize that none of this matters. God is in control. And if you believe that, then it, it's all downhill. And, and I said to them, I said, so as we struggle here with the things that we're planning to do here in Africa, it's exciting to see all the things that you guys want to do and the plans you're making. Just know that God is in charge. And so, and the bad things that are happening in the United States, God is going to work all of them to good, Romans eight twenty eight. That's the only solution is just go back every day to Jesus and ask him for the guidance on what you're supposed to be doing. Amen and amen. Dennis Wilson, Wilson Financial Services, 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970 or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial. Wilson Financial Services, 800-696-9970. 
for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and we are giving a pat on the back to Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds. She signed into law a bill last week that is a major legislative victory for her, not just politically, but basically here's the deal. She says, I believe parents should be able to decide what is the best environment for their kids to be everything they can be. COVID really put a fine point on that because it gave parents a front row seat as to what was happening in their children's classrooms, and a lot of them did not like what they were seeing. The bottom line is that all parents, not just a few, should have the opportunity to choose and have the choice, whether it's faith-based or academic, whatever that might be. That parent should have the opportunity to make that choice as long as the school is accredited by the state. Now, that's potentially challenging for a Christian or private school, but basically the new law that has been ushered in in Iowa basically gives parents way more flexibility when it comes to school choice. Now, Randy Weingarten, I mentioned earlier, the president of the American Federation of Teachers, the woman who was so passionate in her defense of vaccines and closing schools and everything, but then actually went on social media and said, hey, you know what, now that we know the truth about this, why don't we have a little grace for the people who were pretty, you know, animated about doing the vaccines. Anyway, she said, quoting her here, this plan is like plans that are schemes to funnel taxpayers' money to the wealthy few. This plan could damage public education. If I had a dollar for every time I heard that a plan like this was going to be the end of public education, this year marks the 45th anniversary of the passage of Proposition 13 in California. Now, I say this with all love and respect to my parents who were public school educators at the time. My dad was an assistant superintendent with Orange County Department of Education here in Orange County, California. My mom was teaching first grade in room 12 at Handy School in Orange, California. And when I told my folks, I was a junior in high school that year, I told them I wanted to become a math teacher. My dad said, don't do it. There's not going to be any public education last after Prop 13 passes. Now, I'm glad I didn't become a high school math teacher because I don't think I would have liked it as much as I thought. All my favorite teachers were math teachers. I wanted to be like them. But here's the idea that the American Federation of Teachers, this is going to do, this is going to do. No, it's not. Actually, it's not because the money is going to be redirected to where the parents wanted to go. Some private schools are going to benefit. No question about that. Will the public schools have to readjust their budgets? Of course they will. But not every parent is going to take their kid out of public school. The problem, I'm afraid, that's happened with the American Federation of Teachers and other teachers unions is they've gotten so used to that steady drip, 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 drip of, oh, it's public school and the kids have to be in school or they're going to be truant and you can't afford going to private school and we get money for every butt in the seat. That's a principal friend of mine uses that expression. We get paid for butts and seats that they don't like the idea of losing some of that gravy train. Take a look at school districts. You know, people forever, and I, I, my heart breaks for school teachers who have to buy their own supplies and pay for a lot of things out of pocket, but then ask yourself the question, how much money do the districts get from the state and federal governments, and how much of it goes to salaries? <clears throat> I mean, the reality is, 
if you take a look at the money, my hunch is that the reason teachers are paying for stuff out of their own pockets is because all the increases that come to the districts in the form of more students go to teacher salaries first and no one bothers to put it into supplies. And that lands squarely on the shoulder of Randy Weingarten, who is the president of the American Federation of Teachers. When she said, look out, you know, here it's going to be the end of public school in Iowa if this thing passes. Here's how Governor Reynolds responded, quoting her here. How ridiculous is this? The same individual that fought and fought and fought to keep our kids out of the classroom as late as the summer of 2021, they were still advocating for kids not to be in the classroom. I can't think of a person that's done more for school choice than Randy Weingarten. She's our biggest advocate. <clears throat> when she's handling the so-called woke agenda, the indoctrination, the sex education that they're bringing into the school system, Governor Reynolds said, and I quote, parents have had it. They want a quality education for their children. They want them to learn the basics, and then they will take care of the parenting at home. Governor Reynolds believes her plan will force some schools to potentially think twice about what's making its way into the classroom. And, you know, that's pretty much evidenced by what we saw at the polls back in November of 2022. A record number of parents running for school board, winning school board seats, throwing out the woke agenda people who want your kids to read pornography and in, under the guise of, well, this is literature, quote unquote, wanting to establish abortion clinics on high school campuses and things like that. But here we have a group of parents rising up, and now we have someone who obviously has a parent herself, Kim Reynolds, saying, hey, I'm the governor, and this is how I'm, you want, I want your vote. This is what I stand for. So it's wonderful to see that parents have choice. And you know, a lot of parents are going to look at their public school and say, I like this school. We're not going anywhere. We're going to stay right here. And if that's the way you feel and you think that's what's best for your kids, good for you. And I mean that sincerely. The name of the game, though, is the number one person who's responsible for taking care of kids in this country are their parents, full stop. I know some parents have a hard time parenting, to be polite. And sometimes the best thing a parent can do for a child is to say, I need to find the right place for you through adoption or a family member or something like that. That's what I'm that would be a wonderful thing to do. And I commend parents who say, I don't have it. It's not in me, or I've made some decisions that keep me from being a good dad or a good mom. I want you to find an adoptive home or a foster home. But hats off to Governor Kim Reynolds. I think this is wonderful that she has taken the step in Iowa and the other states follow suit. And heck, our friends at Beliso Vio Christian School, Covenant Christian School could benefit from something like this too. We'll put the article up at thebottomlineshow.com. As we continue, some good news, kind of a sad story, but a good news story because uh, an actress who was extremely popular in television in the 70s and 1980s and still has a soft spot in the hearts of a lot, especially young American boys, um, is home with the Lord now. But in reporting on her death, many reporters were surprised to find how much she cherished the eternal life that she would be beholding with God. We'll remember the actress Cindy Williams coming up next as the bottom line continues. Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. When your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. 
Stephanie Cover of Cover Law used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Cover will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash coverlaw. Stephanie Cover. She knows the other side. Welcome back to this Good News Friday on the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. I'm really glad you're here today. Uh, this next Good News Friday story is a sad one. But, well, I mean, it's sad in the sense that uh, a growing number of uh, people who have been leaving the earth and heading for wherever they're heading, their eternal destination, uh, it just seems to grow and mount. But when I saw the news that Cindy Williams, the actress, had passed away last, actually last Wednesday at the age of 75 after a brief illness, uh, it was sad uh, for a lot of different reasons. Of course, you can't uh, think of the name Cindy Williams without thinking about the legendary sitcom from 19, was it 1976 to 1983 called Laverne and Shirley. She played Shirley, Shirley Feeney. And she had roles in other parts. of Actually, Laverne and Shirley started as two characters that showed up on Happy Days. And Cindy really had uh, some tremendous fame early on in her career when she played uh, Laurie and to Ron Howard Steve in American Graffiti. And come on, guys, let's, <laughs> let's be real. Um, you had a crush on Cindy Williams when you saw her in American Graffiti. I mean, come on, come on guys, it's okay, it's okay. You know, and quite frankly, but you have to wonder with a lot of these people that you like, sometimes we find an actor or an actress who does the kind of shows that we like and we say, you know what, I'll bet he's a Christian, I'll bet she's a Christian and but we don't really know and sometimes they talk about their faith and sometimes they don't um cindy williams wrote her autobiography uh, that came out when did it come out it came out in 2015 uh called surely i jest a storied life and she grew up in a home where her dad was an alcoholic but she talked about one of the things that really helped her when she was younger was her aunt rennie who used to preach out of scripture to her when she was a young child. And when she was younger, because of her dad's drinking, her aunt was able to say, hey, why don't you let Cindy spend the weekend with me? And she went to church. And one of the stories she tells about in her book, Surely I Jest, I Storied Life, is uh, she said, you know, one thing I loved about church, one of my first memories about going to church was when I went to Sunday school for that hour, I was safe. What a powerful testimony about, you know, we wonder, uh, do we have the right bells and whistles? Are our youth groups, you know, hip and happening? Are we doing enough mission work and enough outreach work? Think about this young girl who went on to become a, a Emmy-nominated actress, you know, very, very popular, very, very successful. And when she was a little girl, because the alcoholism of her father was so bad at home, that one hour every Sunday when she went to church with her aunt, she said, Sunday school, that was the safest place for me. I, I felt safe for at least one hour every week. Uh, she gave an interview to Psychology Today then, 
and said, and they were asking about if she considered herself to be a spiritual person. And she said, well, I don't know how I could talk about this with you any other way, but then to say, God has been imbued in me from my birth. I am in him and he is in me. I've always had the sense of everything going to be okay. Didn't matter how bad the situation was. It's as if I knew in that spirit that basically a power of unconditional good was on my life from a very early age. You know, it's interesting because then she continued in the uh, in the interview. She said, you know, a lot of people who believe in God go too far. They say, if you don't believe the way I am, then you're going to hell. She goes, that's not how I describe my belief in God at all. I do believe that God is there. As a matter of fact, she did give one quote where she said, I believe that God is everything in all of us, which doesn't necessarily mean that she's got a full-blown Christian faith. But it's interesting to see how even when she gave her interview to Psychology Today's Dr. Michael Friedman, he said, there is no question that Cindy Williams is a devoutly religious person, has an unshakable faith in God, and referring to the God of the Bible. Uh, one time she said, she was uh, giving an interview to uh, the folks at uh, Faithwire, and she said, you know, I'm with God all day long. You've got to remember, when I'm on the set, when I'm at home, I, I remember one time we were trying a joke on the set and Laverne and Shirley, and it didn't work, and I finally turned to Penny Marshall, and I said, well, I don't know, I can't make this work. Maybe Jesus can. <laughs> and they both, they both had a good chuckle. But quite frankly, when someone asked her, do you believe in heaven? Do you believe in prayer? Do you believe in God and the Bible? Her response was, she said, is there anything or anyone to pray to other than the God of the Bible? Cindy Williams ended her earthly life uh, last week at the age of 75, and our hope and prayer is that she's rejoicing with the Lord of the Bible in heaven right now. But let that be a reminder to us that uh, uh, sometimes the people that we trust the most and and, uh, and should be take caring, t- taking care of us the most. Don't always do so, but God will always make a way if we're willing to look for him and listen to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit giving us the gift of faith, which can lead to the gift of salvation. The story about Cindy Williams and her faith journey is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Okay, let's take a break, and when we come back, Buck Storm has become a popular of Bottom Line Show listeners, musician, artist, songwriter, balladeer, if you will, Here's a brand new novel out that asks the question, what if you could change your life and write your own story? What if you could make your own dreams come true? Well, he focuses that from a topical, you know, situational perspective, but also from a spiritual perspective as well. It is a brand new novel called Venus Sings the Blues. We have a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have a couple copies of the book to give away as well, too. That's our Good News Friday giveaway. Buck Storm is going to join me on the other side of this break. We'll talk about Venus and Bones and Jimmy LaRue and all the great characters that he writes about in this brand new novel. Buck Williams talking about... Buck Storm talking about Venus Sings the Blues. Coming your way next as the bottom line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 
that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Well, special guest joining me today here on The Bottom Line, it's good to have Buck Storm back in studio with us and actually have him on camera as well, too. Uh, the latest in his installment of all the different writings that he does, he's a man of many talents. Uh, Venus Sings the Blues is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and he asks and tackles the question, what if you could change your life? What if you could make your own dreams come true? He goes after that in this brand new story. Buck Storm, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm so happy to be here. It's great to talk to you again. Well, it's also nice to talk to a fellow bassist. I, I, we were talking before we started the uh, podcast here about the fact that uh, uh, that it, bassists really hold the world together. And so that's why Buck Storm is such a successful writer, I think, is because that that's his first love. You got you to be solid on the bottom right. end. Right. <laughs> that's true. Uh, talk, this new, this writing, it, it is a lot of fun because, let's face it, there are a lot of people who will look at this and say, man, I'm right there with Bones. I mean, talk about what the genesis was of Venus Sings the Blues for you, Buckstorm. Well, you know, uh, if anybody, if you're familiar with some of my other books, I I, I kind of left Bones hanging at the end of Beautiful Ashes of Gomez Gomez, right. and I always felt like Bones needed a a little bit more of a, a, a story, you know, a finish. And um, I don't know. Bones was an has always been an interesting character. I, you know, it's funny when when he, as a writer, people say, "Well, do you see yourself in characters? Do you write yourself in characters?" I try not to, but I, I see a lot of myself, my young self, in Bones, and so I was uh, very uh, excited to jump into his story. In fact, I waited a couple books to do it, but I was excited to jump into his story and kind of give him a, give him a little bit more of a voice. Are you a um, Jerry Jenkins was on with me not too long ago? We were talking about the two styles of writers, and I, I, I forgive me if I've asked you this before, but there are the storyboard, plan it all out. I know where this is all going, writers, and then there are writers like Jerry says he said calls himself a pantser, as yeah. in right by the seat of my pants. Is it more of sure. a journey, and you're pleasantly surprised how it turns out? I consider myself the king of the pantsers. Okay, okay. I, I, I hardly ever know what I'm even wearing on any given day. <laughs> I never know what day it is. Um, and so I, I've tried so hard to be organized. You know, Frank Peretti is a friend of mine, and I know mm. he, he's a guy that that is a is a planner from yeah. the degrees, very professional. He's incredible at what he does. And I remember um, having a conversation with him one time and, and approaching my next book and thinking, man, I'm going to really try to be more like Frank, you know, WWFD, you know, and, and mm -hmm. uh, so I... <laughs> I tried to, to uh, outline and, and, and by about page three, I was off on some rabbit trail tangent. And so I like to discover what happens in books, you know, kind yeah. of as I go. And uh, mm -hmm. that to me is part of the joy of writing. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I am just the worst when it comes to planning. Well, you know, it's interesting that kind of planned uh, spontaneity, I guess you'd call it, because I, when I met Frank 25 years ago and, you know, that the, the, uh, the, this present stuff had been happening and everybody was looking to him as the go-to guy. And he was like, yeah, I'm nine to five. I'm just, this is the way I write and everything. And I thought, how do you do that? I mean, how do you, you can't, I, I can't let my imagination, 
you know, be confined to a regular business day, you know, where it's like five o'clock and I'm in a rhythm and, you know, the whistle blows and Fred goes sliding down the dinosaur. It's just, I, that's not, it, it doesn't really happen for me. And I would like to think, and I'm going to put this back on kind of more of a spiritual level too. Does, I mean, God's a God of order, but he's also a God of wild creativity, you know? So yeah. when, talk about the the spiritual process for you, Buck Storm, when you're, when you're looking at Bones' situation and saying, where are we taking this guy, God? Because it's not just you are putting pen to paper. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I I know a lot of writers, especially, well, obviously in the Christian market, that they kind of start off with a a spiritual premise, and this is what I'm going to build this story around. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've written one book that that has started that way, mm-hmm. really. Um, mm-hmm. that, that doesn't mean that when I'm done, there's not a spiritual premise. Right. My my feeling is, and this is just me, I don't, I, you talk about pantsers or planners, you know, there's no right or wrong way to do it. Uh, right. You know, whether that be whatever art you're in, I, I think. Um, but as an artist, I believe, and I hope that um, your heart is going to come through your art uh, in some way. And so, and so God's got a plan in your life. And for me, a lot of times it's just, I, I like to see that revealed at the same time as the story is revealed. You know, you, you talk about what would you do if you could, you know, really change anything in your past? You know, that was, you know, I mean, this one, I, I, the, the, you know, the story of the character of Jimmy just kind of came out of the blue in the first chapter. Mm-hmm. And I, I just like the visual a lot of, t- you know, I'm a very visual person in my head. And a lot of times I just like visuals. I love the, you know, the, the, the Venus motel has been something that I, I kind of came up with on my very first record back in the nineties uh, called goodbye from Venus. The last song on the record is a little poetic vignette about the Venus motel. And, and that motel has kind of cropped up this sort of desert neon, uh, uh, you know, grainy movie sort of image and uh i loved this one uh, this book to uh, be able to kind of build the, most of the story 90 percent, 95 percent of the story happens at the venus motel mm-hmm. and uh, so it's a lot for me it's a lot of visual and and so the but the spiritual always comes in and it, it doesn't matter if i if i sat down and said hey i'm going to write a book for the for the general market the secular market I, I don't think i could help but the spiritual element would come in there somewhere because that's just i believe and hope and pray that's who i am at my heart yeah, well, it comes through, especially in Venus Sings the Blues, the new novel from Buck Storm, which is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And, you know, to that point, not to discount anything that you or other Christian writers have done in this genre, but there is a spiritual component, I believe, in most secular art. It may be a darker spiritual component, or it's a longing for more or searching for something, but you could easily see Jimmy show up in, you know, any number of, quote-unquote, mainstream, uh, you know, uh, opportunities for stories especially when you've got the magic box you know you've got the hey can i can i change the the past you know i'm I'm going on a journey here i mean as easily as we want to believe that marty mcfly can go back to 1955 i mean why wouldn't we believe that uh, you know jimmy larue could show up at our hotel or our dead-end job and try to uh make our fortunes uh that much better and for us as Christians, we're looking at that saying, well, now, wait a minute, you know, if God is the God of the universe and the redeemer of our souls and sanctifying us, then isn't that what's really happening in our lives all along? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that this particular book, out of all the books I've written, uh, is probably a little more universal in theme in that way. I mean, I think it spans uh, the human, I, I don't think human condition is the right word, the human longing in a lot of ways, you know, we, we all live with regrets. We all, we all wish we could go turn back the clock and, and change something. Right. You know? So, yeah, I think, I think it's a universal theme and it was, it was great to write. I, I, this was probably the the funnest I've had writing a book from the, from just from the start. I really, really enjoyed it. 
I love that. Um, Buckstorm.com is linked up at the bottomlineshow.com, and you can find more about uh, the many facets of the ministry uh, and the artistic talent of Buckstorm. Uh, you, you talked about how much fun this process was. When you're writing a story, though, where you've got people who are kind of down on their luck, beaten up a little bit, knocked around a little bit, um, yeah. that is that, I don't want to say that's not necessarily fun, but is it a pleasurable experience to kind of take them on that journey, knowing there's a certain level of redemption, even though you'll both find it together? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's just storytelling. You know, you have to have a, a character has to go somewhere. Right. So, uh, yeah, no, I think, um, yeah, I, I love to, I love to rescue people. I, ha I have, I have characters that, that I, in books that, that I, I'd have to think about it, but um, that have kind of poked their head into a, a chapter as an extra character. And then by the time I finished the book, they were a main character just because I wanted yeah. to pull them out of, <laughs> pull them out right. of where they were in, you know, yeah. sometimes, sometimes you want to leave somebody where they are, you know, if it's, if it's, if it's a particular villain or something like that, but no, I, I it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun to write through that, write through that journey with the character. And this one in particular, in the, in the book, um, there's so many. There's there's several characters, you know. So you've got a lot of different kind of weaving in and out of of, uh, of character arcs in this book, mm -hmm. and all of them. I, I loved every one of them. Yeah. Do you ever do you ever lose somebody and never go back and find them when you're working? Uh, I'm not that mean, man. No. <laughs> well, not not in a mean sense, but I would think you you might start out like you said. The sometimes the secondary character winds up being primary. I was wondering yeah. if perhaps maybe somebody uh, wound up checking out the Venus Hotel and we never went to that room again. Yeah, I, I have had times and uh, I'm thinking of one. I don't remember exactly which novel it was, but I had two characters that were I realized about halfway through that were kind of fulfilling the same villain role, you know, mm -hmm. and so I wound up uh, acing one and and, uh, and putting, you know, kind of combining them into one character. I mean, yeah. th that's where you, that's where craft comes in. You just have to get realistic with yourself. You know, I think yeah. Stephen King says it. He says you got to learn to kill your babies, you know, mm. even even if you love something, sometimes you got to chop it, you know, right. Right. The story work. I mean, there, there is, there's, you know, there's pantser and then there's also craft. I mean, you, it, you gotta, you gotta be able to look, take an honest look at what you're writing. So. Yeah. I'm talking with Buck Storm today here on the bottom line. The book is called Venus Sings the Blues. We've got a link for it up at the bottom line show.com, the continuing saga of bones. Uh, you know, it's interesting, uh, Buck, when we've been talking about this story and obviously we talk about the characters and the journeys they go on, one of the overarching themes, though, in Venus Sings the Blues is something that is a part of our Christian faith that we don't always think about, and that is God's pursuit of us more than our pursuit of Him. You know, one is definitely uh, facilitates the other. Uh, can you kind of give us an overview as to where that principle kind of is woven in? Is it Jimmy who's kind of, you know, giving us the God's pursuing us and showing us how you can make things better in your past and present and future? Well, yeah, I mean, that's that would be the obvious allegory. You know, Jimmy shows up with his box and anything you put in it disappears forever, you know. Um, but what I like to do, and, and I, I think this has been a central theme through all my novels and, and even my nonfiction, but really because it's a central theme in my life, uh, is that God is is relentless in his pursuit. Um, no matter which my books you pick up, I think that you'll find that theme is very, very resonant in that um, we we. I should say I, uh, I, I find a multitude of ways to screw things up. I mean, I'm the worst. Sometimes I'm the worst Christian that there could ever be, you know, yeah. but then I look and, and I, I look back through my life and, and I see God's uh, hand in just incredible ways. And, and, and he's, I mean, he, he, there have been times I've, I've been running so hard and he has got me in a headlock, taken me to the mat and won't let me up. Mm. I mean, that's just, that's just who he is in my life. That's, that's who, 
uh, my father is, you know, to, to, when, when I look at it, that's how I know him. And, and, and so, yeah, so that, that always seems to come, come together in my, in my book. So yeah, Jimmy LaRue is the obvious, but I think if you look at it, um, the, the orchestration of characters and the orchestration of, uh, of, uh, redemption and victory is, has been start happening even before Jimmy LaRue shows up on his Harley, you know, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. God is the master chess player and, you know, yeah. he's, he's orchestrating things all the time. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And that's, and that's it, not fiction, man. That's not Christian fiction. That's Christian reality. Yeah. Well, it comes through, especially in Venus Sings the Blues, the new novel from Buck Storm, which is up at thebottomlineshow.com. More to come in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. I'm talking with Buck Storm today here on The Bottom Line. Venus Sings the Blues is the new novel, which is up at thebottomlineshow.com. In addition to a link to buckstorm.com, I wanted to add my voice when you were talking about the, the that that whole comment about feeling like the worst Christian. I wasn't being silent because I was agreeing with you. I was rather saying... <laughs> I want to let you finish the thought before I jump on and say, hey, put my name on that list, too, because, uh, you know, that's that's definitely uh, that that's something we have to think about. As you look at the impact that this book has had, it's been out for a couple of months now. Um, what what kind of feedback are you getting from people? I mean, your regular readers, of course, are loving it. They always do. Yeah. That's what, the reason why you keep publishing in, in some ways is you've got that regular audience. But what what are the, the new responses like? How is it touching people? You know, one of the, I, I was just thinking about this earlier. Um, I saw a review, uh, just a reader review. It wasn't a critic review that came up. And uh, I thought it was just one of the coolest reviews I've seen. And um, and I, I'm paraphrasing, but she said something about, uh, I didn't just learn about the characters. I learned about myself. Hmm. And, uh, and I thought that was really cool. And, and, um, and some of the, even some of the critic reviews have, have gone there and just talking about uh, this, the, the story this is without me trying to write this it is, is very self-reflective, you know, uh, as, as you kind of go through the, the journey with these people, um, uh, some of them very broken, you know, uh, and, and, and there's somebody in this book that's going to resonate with everybody and you're going to see yourself re- mirrored in a character and you're going to start asking yourself some questions. And the beautiful thing is the answers are all yes, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's what I love about, that's what I love about, uh, you know, the, the Christ journey. I love it. I think it's great to talk with Buck Storm today here on The Bottom Line. Venus Sings the Blues is the new novel, which is up at thebottomlineshow.com, in addition to a link to buckstorm.com. Uh, for those who are watching on myhopenow.com, you see the guitar, so you know the Buck's a musical guy, and we've we've talked about his musical prowess uh, in the past. Give us an update on where you are musically, Buck Storm. I mean, you're doing stuff with your son, you're doing things. I mean, this journey for you kind of started musically before it came into a literary, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, I always planned on being a writer um, and I, and I got, I had about a 20, 25 year detour of being a songwriter uh, before I actually mm-hmm. got around to it. I like to tell the story of our, my wife and I got married on our first apartment. I lied on the application and said, I was, I was a writer. A novelist. <laughs> so it took me like 20, about 20, 25 years to, to, you know, write that wrong, mm-hmm. but uh, I became, but yeah, I, I, I played music forever, toured, um, uh, written. Uh, I've been all over the world. Music's taken me all over the world. It's been, a, it's, been a very strange strange experience and strange trip and uh i still look back and scratch my head and wonder how it all happened but mm-hmm. yeah these days uh for probably the first time since i was a kid i'm just playing for absolute joy my mm-hmm. my son and i have a band his name's ransom buckley storm and i'm james buckley storm so it's called the buckley storms and we, we've got a we've got a handful of really incredible musicians playing and uh yeah it's in up in our northwest area here it's gotten pretty gotten pretty popular and, and we're in the studio uh, right now working on a working on a record and it's just i'm just playing for the sheer fun of playing music and, and hanging out with my kid it's just How- great 
what, how proud are you as a dad to be working with your son in this project? Well, for on, on so many levels. I mean, he's he's an amazing man. Uh, he's a worship pastor at, a, at the church we go to now, and and uh, in fact, there's a couple of worship pastors in the band. But uh, um, yeah, I look at him and his life. I, I'm I'm very blessed. I, I have no idea how how we landed here, but my my daughter uh, is married to a great guy. They have two. We have two great grandchildren. My son's married to a wonderful woman. Everybody loves the Lord. They're close by. It's it's just the charmed existence. Really, it really is. Wow. Uh, any worry that there's going to be a neck dart coming out of somewhere, you know, anytime soon? And oh, she's going to die. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? I'm getting older and I, and I figure I, I quit counting years now. I just say I'm alive on the earth, man, and I'm going to enjoy mm-hmm. every second of it and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, try to do whatever God puts in front of me. I think that's wonderful. What does the future hold? I mean, I know there's another uh, novel that we'll be talking about in uh, sooner than later, which is really nice, but also the music and you're traveling a little bit these days again, now that your uh, knee is kind of uh, back to normal. Yeah. 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 We'll probably get back. Um, uh, I just uh, committed to do a songwriter in the round here uh, in a couple of weeks uh, here locally with some other players and Um, uh, I know I've toured with Randy Stonehill quite a bit. He's, he's talked about doing some more stuff and Excellent. I, don't know, I don't know whether that'll, um, uh, you know, come to fruition. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. I, uh, but yeah, and always going to be a lot more writing for me. How does Randy keep doing it? I mean, I, I know I've known Randy for a number of years. I mean, not professionally, not personally. And I see him on social media and every week, you know, Leslie and I are out here and we're going here and we're going there. I mean, what is he about 80 now or something? I mean, he's like 160. Right. Uh, you know, he's no, I, yeah, he, he's, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. He's uh, 70. I think he's seven. Um, yeah. You know, he, he's, t- he tours constantly. It's exhausting right. watching him. Right. right. But, uh, you know, the thing with Randy that that, dri- that drives him, and I can say this with some authority because I've spent many an hour in a van with Randy Stonehill, mm-hmm. uh, is as goofy as he is and as uh, 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 eccentric and crazy. That's the side of, pe- of Randy that people know. He's very serious about the Lord, and, and mm-hmm. he's constantly focused on God's calling in his life. And I think that's the reason he's out on the road. I mean, he's yeah. out there because yep. God has things for him to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. So, I love so that. God bless him. He's a great songwriter and a, and a great talent and a, and a great friend. Our songwriters are kind of a dying breed these days, Buck Storm, and don't you know out anybody who you think is doing a terrible job. But I think it's fewer and further between when I hear something that's a new release and say, that is amazing. That makes me stop in my tracks. Whereas when I was younger, it seemed like that happened a lot more often. Yeah. Well, it, it, uh, now, are you are you talking particularly in the Christian, uh, in the church? You're talking in about either. Any- in either, um, yeah. you know, I would say in the church, you know, the culture has come around to where it's very worship centric and artists, you know, I mean, artists are, are writing worship songs uh, where, you know, when I was, you know, kind of coming up in, in the 80s and, uh, the, the, you know, at the tail end of the Jesus movement, actually just at the very end, there were still a lot of songwriters in the church, right. you know, and some really great songwriters. Um, so I think in that way. I think there, there. I, I think there's, there will always be songwriters, you know, I, because there's always going to be somebody that needs to tell their story, you know. And uh, um, I listen to a lot of music, and and I, I think, you know, gosh, there's some amazing talent out there that are coming out and writing some really great, um, really great. I'm a lyrics guy. I'm a words guy, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But uh, some some people, I, I I just scratch my head and say, man, this is it's it gives me hope for the future. It's not That's all good. one line. It's not all one liners to me. I hear a lot of really great stuff out there. Good. 
I'm, I'm glad you're hearing it. That gives me hope. We've got about 60 seconds left in our time together with Buck Storm talking about his new novel, Venus Sings the Blues, which is up at thebottomlineshow.com along with the link for buckstorm.com. Buck, I'm thinking of giving Venus Sings the Blues to somebody I know uh, who yeah. I think would benefit from it. Who should I give or whom should I give it to? Well, I think uh, if I could say this quickly, I think we, we we're living in a culture today where we're losing our identity and our names. You know, we, we've, be, we've been relegated to tithing units or a, a voter block or, you know, and, and people are losing their identity. I, I think somebody that's really searching for, uh, you know, um, uh, value in their lives and, and know that they're loved and know that somebody loves them. You know, I think that's it. I, that's why we see this, you know, this social media thing. People are screaming out on, you know, TikTok and everything. Look at me, you know. But uh, I think those kind of people to understand that there is value outside of, um, you know, Instagram uh, and they're they radically and wonderfully loved. Mm, I love that. I, that uh, that's powerful. It resonates with me. And I know with many of our listeners of all different uh, backgrounds and uh, age groups as well. So thank you for sharing that Buck Storm. The new novel is called Venus Sings the Blues. As I mentioned, it's up at thebottomlineshow.com in addition to a link for buckstorm.com. And if we do get a chance to see the Buckley Storms that he wears, it primarily uh, the Northwest right now, will you be making your way to maybe California or do you play Colorado at all? There's been some talk about doing a little traveling. So we'll just have to okay. see what happens. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll keep you posted as a bottom line listener the next time uh, Buck gives us a little heads up as to what's going on. Buck Storm, it's always a pleasure, brother. Thank you so much for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Roger, thank you so much. I sure appreciate it. Well, we always appreciate these conversations. Buck Storm has been my guest today here on The Bottom Line. We're talking about the brand new book called Venus Sings the Blues. The link for the book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we have a, a copy of the book to give away right now. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, Buckstorm's latest novel is called Venus Sings the Blues. And if you've ever wondered if you could change your life and kind of write your own story and make your own dreams come true, this is a fun look at the kind of people who wanted to do that, but they know that ultimately uh, there are some quote-unquote cosmic winds that make things really happen. And there's a lot of spiritual parallels to our walk of faith as well. Buckstorm's Venus Sings the Blues, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. We'll take a quick break and come back with more on this Good News Friday in just a moment as the bottom line continues. My thanks again to Buckstorm. It's always great to get together. Talk about his music. Talk about his uh, his novels and uh, the idea that you can take a story like Venus Sings the Blues and enjoy it just as a great old novel to read, kind of fun, kind of quirky. But at the same time, understand that the Venus Motel uh, gives us kind of a backdrop for what if you could change your life? What if you could write your own story and not feel like the world was kind of dictating it for you? What if you could make your own dreams come true? Venus Sings the Blues is the new novel from Buck Storm. It's up at thebottomlineshow.com. We're giving away a copy right now here on Good News Friday, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, think about that premise for just a moment. You know, what if you could do that? Now think back to my conversation earlier this week. I don't know if you had a chance to tune in on Tuesday. If you didn't with Pastor Stephen Chandler, uh, I encourage you to check that out. You know, he, he posed the question, why do so many Christians wait for permission to live their God-given passion and purpose? You know, it's a good question. 
I think sometimes we wait because as human beings who are called by Christ and adopted into his family, we fall into one of two categories. Either we think God is kind of an ATM slash genie in a bottle. We make up our list of things to do. And then God just, we present our list every day and God says, sure, I'll be happy to check off the box for you. Then there's the other part of the equation too, where we say, oh, thank the Lord. My sins are forgiven. I'm saved. I'm not going to hell kind of have my fire insurance faith, and every day I will look for a way to put it a good word for God, but I don't really have any dreams and desires. Well, I think both of those theologies, if you will, fall short for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, God doesn't do anything accidentally. He's a God of purpose, very intentional. The Godhead created mankind for one purpose, and that was fellowship with God. When mankind and womankind... Um, and I, that's a play on words. I realize the one term is mankind. When humans failed God and disappointed him, they were banished from the garden. So as not to get in and, you know, get more fruit that they weren't supposed to eat. And so we had this kind of love-hate relationship with him, but eventually he sent his son, Jesus Christ, because why? Because he wanted to reestablish that relationship, that direct communion, uh, get rid of the sacrifices and get rid of the Torah obedience and bring us into that new covenant again with him. That was God's desire, and God planned for it, and God sent Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin and to wipe our sins clean so that we could now have fellowship with him. Please don't underestimate how important that is, but know that as you have fellowship with him, he has also called and equipped you to live a life of purpose, to accomplish good and great things for him, to thrive, literally, in the same way that you plant a fruit tree out of one seed from one piece of fruit, and you could basically get an orchard out of all the seeds that come out of that one piece of fruit. The fruit itself is good to eat, but God sends it preloaded with a way for more fruit to continue to thrive. God gave you gifts and desires to use for his glory so that you would thrive, but that others would benefit. Don't mistake that. You don't make your own dreams come true unless the dreams you're trying to make true, Psalm 37, 4, are the desires of your heart that are pleasing to God. That is good news, and that's the bottom line. KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your weekend. And Rabbi Schneider, Discovering the Jewish Jesus, coming up next. For those who remain on the network, a good news story for a young woman who took a stand rather than taking a knee. Why is this a good news story? It's a little complicated, but I'll explain next as the bottom line continues. Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, or welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I know people tune in. It's kind of a fun program, actually, when people ask, you know, what's it like? The first, let's see, the first um, uh, couple of years of the program, we were on a couple hours a day, and we had to power down on KBRT. We were done at... uh, uh, top of the uh, quarter to four or quarter to five rather on uh, uh, for two months out of the year because KBRT technically a, an AM day timer and then we got the new transmitter tower and then we went to two hours on all of our affiliates and then we went to 90 minutes and all our affiliates and now we're 90 minutes here and 30 minutes and 30 minutes and 30 minutes there and we just added 30 minutes on KLTT but 
the program is nice. We try to keep a cohesive flow throughout the course of the broadcast. And one thing that is cohesive, you've got Movie Mondays every Monday for the past four or five months. We've been There have been so many great Christian films and faith-based projects to give away stuff for. We've been giving away tickets to movies in theaters or uh, online streaming. On Wednesdays, we have Everyone Wednesday, uh, where everybody who calls into the program gets something to win. And then on Fridays, it's Good News Friday. And today we have kind of a Good News Friday and Everyone Wins Friday as well. If you heard me announce this this past Wednesday, there's a special event coming up this Sunday. This is for Southern California listeners only. If you're in Colorado right now hearing this and you want to come in or you're in Wyoming or New York or wherever, and you want to fly in, please feel free. Uh, It might be a little expensive, but I think it'll be fun. Lutheran Social Services of Southern California is an organization that I've been aware of for many, many years. And the title is Lutheran Social Services. It goes back to 1946. However, um, now it's kind of a little more ecumenical. There's people from all different faith, I mean, Christian faith traditions that are involved. There are Catholic folks and Lutherans and you know, but non-denoms, you know, all, all sorts of different people. You may not know that Lutheran Social Services in Southern California operates a, a, a facility for men and it's in San Bernardino. And basically, we're trying to uh, get a little more awareness for the CCLM mission in San Bernardino and also the New City Parish in Los Angeles. So this Sunday, February the 5th, at 3 p.m., um, the uh, Luther Social Services is presenting an event called Banding Together to Build Community. It's a series of free, the first of three free concerts that will feature a variety of different, uh, uh, the New City Parish, uh, Woven Image, which is a uh, fusion of Celtic folk and jazz, uh, Pastor Nathan Damaris, a uh, little hip-hop and global multicultural praise, Chris Wynn and his praise band featuring Nicholas and Kathleen Preston are going to be there as well. This is a free event, and the first of the three concerts, one in February, one in March, one in April. The first concert is this Sunday, February 5th, at Messiah Lutheran Church in Yorba Linda. And the reason I bring this up is twofold. First of all, um, we've got free tickets to give away to the event. It is a fundraiser, so um, please know that the tickets are free that we're giving away, but we've got to keep a number of tickets there because we don't want to overrun the church. Uh, they, They have limited seating available, so you want to get a free ticket. But secondly, please know that it is a fundraiser, so you can get in for free. We are going to take a free will offering. Secondly, the reason I say we is because I'm going to be the MC of the event. And we haven't done a lot of live events recently because of COVID. And so I'm thrilled to have a chance to be out there. So here's some great music. Uh, there's going to be a taco truck there, I believe, after the event. And I'm going to be there. I'd love to meet you uh, at Messiah Lutheran Church in your Belinda. That's at 4861 Liverpool Street. This Sunday, February the 5th at 3 p.m., concert will go for an hour and change, and we'll hang out afterwards. Um, we've got tickets to give away. Actually, it's a link that you can sign up and get your free tickets from. Uh, you can get it exclusively from us here at the Bottom Line Show. Give Crystal a call right now, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. I know today is Friday. Uh, the performance is this Sunday. And it's in your Belinda. So if you're a San Diego listener or you're in Ventura or whatever, uh, we don't have other options. Now, uh, there will be other events, uh, two other concerts coming up. They'll be in different locations. I'll start making those announcements next week. But for this Sunday's event, the Lutheran Social Services of Southern California benefit called Banding Together to Build Community. 
to work on these men's ministry outreaches for homeless guys. It's, it's going to be a fantastic time. I'd love to meet you at Messiah Lutheran Church in Yorba Linda this Sunday at 3 p.m. 800-227-5278. We have five pair of these tickets that we're giving away this half hour. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Well, it is Good News Friday, and I want to share a Good News Friday story with you that requires a bit of explanation as to why I think this is good news. I always have to do this anytime it involves something that has the potential for uh, being racially insensitive or gender non-inclusive or something like that. I will issue a, a caveat here to say, please listen to the entire story before uh, you know, <laughs> get all rankled. Because I had to read this and pray about this a couple of different times. You remember uh, a couple of years ago, it became very popular uh, thanks to athletes like Colin Kaepernick and others for people who were in the public eye to take a proverbial knee during the national anthem as a show of solidarity. It was, it was an anti-racism expression that uh, started, I think Colin Kaepernick was the, the first to make it happen. Ironically, he started doing it during preseason football games when it didn't seem like it was any really big deal for him to do it. But, you know, that was the year of presidential election and you had a guy named Donald Trump running for office and he poured some gasoline on the fire, calling it unpatriotic for players to not stand at attention for the national anthem. And then there was a bit of confusion. And I think, you know, the more I've learned about it and read about it, I, I'm pretty sure I can not be Switzerland, but I can, there's a cognitive dissonance that went on in this whole case. The Kaepernick position, which I don't think he articulated very well, as evidenced by the fact that people turned it into a you hate the military you know, type of statement, he claimed that he was taking his knee in honor of and respect for uh, African-Americans who had been, had been victimized by uh, police brutality. And I'll be honest with you, him taking a knee and doing that, I didn't get what he was about. And I still don't necessarily think it was the most effective way to do it, but he has the right to do it as an American citizen. It became, of course, under the Trump administration, it became a anti-military, anti-America, anti-everything thing. And then we saw what the social media world doesn't do very well at all. It creates, it, it marginalizes both sides of the argument into the lowest common denominator and then lets them fight. I mean, quite frankly, they fight like, remember the old Rock'em Sock'em robots, those, those toys, right? at the, the red one and the blue one, and you would push the button behind them and they would pow, 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 and hit each other and hit each other, but the head of the robot was compressed on a spring, and so it looked like it was all compressed down and holding together, but at one point, one of the combatants would hit the other one's robot with his robot, and if it caught the chin, it would the head would spring up, and that was the end of the battle. Or, or maybe this is a better analogy. <laughs> I'm kind of nostalgic for childhood toys. Battling tops. Remember battling tops? These two tops, you know, the, the, the spinning things, plastic, looks like a little dreidel type of thing when it was round. You put the string on it and you'd pull the string and the top would spin and spin and spin and spin. The idea was you had that kind of banked arena with the plastic round all the side. Everybody get their battling tops together, put them in the little uh, container where they start, pull the string, and the tops would go out there. Okay, but they would say they were battling tops. It's just pieces of plastic that were spinning around in circles. 
and they would bump into each other, and the last top standing, you were the winner of the quote-unquote battle. Unfortunately, those two toys gave us a precursor, a foreshadowing, of what we experience now in the social media world. And basically, every argument gets reduced to two battling tops going at it or two rock'em sock'em robots. There isn't really any room for meaningful dialogue about what's being discussed. Oftentimes you find that when these issues are discussed that the two parties really aren't arguing about the same things. It kind of goes back to the early days of the pro-life movement after abortion was legalized by the Roe versus Wade decision. And you had people who were part of the church, the Catholic Church in particular, really led the charge, and they were anti-abortion. This is a baby, you can't kill the baby, anti-abortion. And then you had the pro-abortion foes who said, no, it isn't. And so there's this passionate sanctity of life crowd fighting for the rights of the pre-born child, and they're arguing with people who don't believe that's actually a child. It took us at least 20 years of that argument not working before people in the sanctity of life community said, hey, wait a minute. We have to find a better way to reach these people. We know that we're talking about a baby here, but they don't. So we have to put this in a language that they can understand. I think in the same way that throughout the years, I mean, in the case of Colin Kaepernick, if he had actually said, I want to start a task force and I want to talk about police brutality and this, that, and the other thing, and here's this campaign, we've got it all marked out and we want to have sit-downs in different cities with community leaders, et cetera, et cetera. And then... So you'll know we're part of this whole movement. I'm going to take a knee. And the reason I take a knee is a buddy of mine was in the military. And the guy in the military said, hey, you know, that's the position that we assume when one of our comrades has fallen in the field of battle. We literally take off our helmet. We get down on one knee and we lean over the guy for a moment of silence. And that's our way of honoring someone who lost their life. Now, that takes a lot longer to explain than is it American? Is it not American? Are you pro-military or are you not pro-military? Do you love the flag? Do you not love the flag? I mean, in all honesty, brothers and sisters, the reason why players stand for the national anthem at NFL games has very little to do with patriotism and has everything to do with the NFL and the military and military flyovers. And I mean, trust me, I've studied this for about a dozen years. Remember the Think Pink campaigns in October? We're all fighting against breast cancer and blah, 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 blah. Do you have any idea how much money the NFL made off of that and how little money went to cancer research? But that's not the way people perceived it. They'd watch these guys wearing pink and remembering their moms who battled and their sisters who might have lost their lives. And it, was, it seemed so great. But the NFL made 92 cents of every dollar that was spent through the NFL on breast cancer research. It went to the NFL. Eight cents of every dollar went to breast cancer research. So call me cynical. <laughs> But whenever I see someone, quote unquote, taking a stance for something by taking a knee or raising a fist or whatever, I, 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 my first question is, what message are you articulating? Secondly, for those who would push back against it, I'd say, what message are you understanding? And then if we really want to have any meaningful dialogue, now we can talk. So now you have football players, soccer players in Europe who are standing up to racism by taking a knee at the midfield uh, stripe before they start a match moment of silence everybody knows why they're doing it here in the states though we're still 
people kneel and they don't know why they're kneeling or they put their fist up or they put two fists up or a head down or a hand behind their back or whatever it is. Nobody understands. In 2020 in the United States, there was a big movement. Of course, there were a lot of African-Americans whose deaths at the hands of police officers made news and the Black Lives Matter crowd was all over the place. And you'll notice, of course, that not a whole lot changed in the th past three years. Black Lives Matter raised a ton of money but did not really get any sort of meaningful change. And it became a, we are all going to do this in solidarity, but if you don't want to do it, well, we're going to punish you somehow. And that's our good news story set up for this half hour. Kristen Henning, who played at Virginia Polytech Institute and State University, Virginia Tech, uh, was a soccer player for the Hokies. And she reported a harassment claim against her soccer coach, a guy called Chugger Adair, because there was a unity statement that was read during a game against the University of Virginia in 2020, and all the players decided they were going to take a knee. The coach said take a knee, and Kirsten didn't want to take one. Well, she wound up in court, and guess what? She won. <laughs> this is not a good news story because she beat Black Lives Matter, but because free speech prevailed. I'm going to explain why this is good coming up next as the bottom line continues. Get your money out of a traditional 401k or IRA now. What we have is we have a problem in the sense that, and I've got a big pot of money. No one's advising me on what to do with this big pot of money. And so I'm just kind of putting it all over the place. People in the early 50s and early 60s, when they went to work, they had pension plans. Hey, they knew when they retired, they're going to have a pension plan. Well, it is a real challenge when you think about the fact that here I am, now I'm retired, and you're now responsible for everything to do with your retirement, everything to do with the growth, everything to do with what you're going to do. And so this kind of gives you a feeling of relief to know that, hey, that, that I'm not the only one out here suffering. When you see the, the severity of what the 401k has limited you to, and you realize that it really isn't what it was cracked up to be, this kind of takes them down the road and shows them how easily that can be solved. Call 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial Services for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Don't forget, you still have a couple moments left to call in for free tickets for the Banding Together event sponsored by Lutheran Social Services of Southern California. I'll be there uh, emceeing the event with a number of local musicians raising money for uh, a homeless outreach project through Lutheran Social Services of Southern California. It takes place at Messiah Lutheran Church in Yorba Linda on Sunday afternoon, an afternoon concert, a couple hours long, February the 5th. Um, go to thebottomlineshow.com. We've got a link up for how you can get tickets, but if you want the link directly, call Crystal right now, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Our final Good News Friday story for the week involves Kirsten Henning, who is a former soccer player at Virginia Tech. In a game in 2020, where the Virginia Tech Hokies soccer team, women's soccer team, there was going to be a unity statement read during a game against the University of Virginia, and the coach basically said, we're all going to kneel while they read the, 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 the unity statement. Now, I don't know what was in the unity statement, so I certainly wouldn't want to insinuate. I mean, the idea that a unity statement was read, I think is a good thing, but if this player said she doesn't want to kneel for it, she would just stand there. Um, that's her 
God-given, constitutionally protected right to do so. And, you know, here's the deal. Um, Once she decided not to kneel, her coach, Charles Adair, who goes by the name of Chugger, um, apparently verbally abused her for not uh, kneeling during the statement. He then benched her for that entire game because she didn't take a knee. He then began to pressure her to quit the team because she wouldn't take a knee during the unity statement. Now, again, I don't know what was in the unity statement, and chances are there's a good possibility that it wasn't something that would violate her conscience, but here's the deal. According to court documents that were cited by Fox News in their report, they wound up taking this to trial. Uh, Kirsten Henning says she supports social justice. She believes that Black Lives Matter, but she does not support the BLM organization. She said, if you look at their tactics and core tenets of their mission statement, including defunding the police and other things that she found on their website, she said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to support it. Now, here's the thing. Um, Adam Moratara is the attorney who represented Kirsten Henning. And he said, look, she was benched for her free speech. Basically, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, Unity statement was read. The school said that they didn't have to. Uh, uh, they didn't have to uh, uh, admit any wrongdoing. Even the coach, Coach Adair, posted a statement to Twitter last week, and he said he's claiming victory. Basically, and I'm quoting him here: "I'm pleased that this case against me has closed, and I am free to move forward, clear of any wrongdoing. The people I care about and whose opinions matter to me know the truth. They know my coaching decisions are based purely on getting our team in a position to win." Um, Kirsten Henning was starting in a different position and had been replaced by a player who also stood during the unity statement. It's unfortunate, but this ordeal was about a disappointment and a disagreement about playing time. Really? Well, here's the thing. According to attorney Morata, who was representing Kirsten Henning, uh, he said, If by clarity you mean you are paying my client six figures in a settlement, then you're right. That's pretty clear. Honestly, coach, read the court's opinion. You are paying. Defendants don't pay in cases that have no standing. End quote. Uh, In March of 2021, uh, Kirsten Henning filed a complaint against Coach Adair in the U.S. District Court of the Western District of Virginia, Roanoke Division, accusing him of punishing her for political views. The complaint said Henning's coach is a state actor. Her refusal to kneel is is protected by the First Amendment. The Constitution gives college students like her the right to be free from such retaliation for their protected expression. As a result of her coach's actions, she can no longer play the game she loves, even though she still has two more years of NCAA eligibility. The court should vindicate Henning's constitutional rights and award her legal and equitable relief. Last month, U.S. District Judge Thomas T. Cullen issued a memorandum opinion in which he denied Adair's motion for a summary judgment and allowed the lawsuit to proceed to trial. He also rejected Adair's attempt to use qualified immunity, or the legal doctrine that says government officials are not liable for violating an individual's rights unless it was clearly established constitutional right or statute. Ironically, connect the dots here. Black Lives Matter supports defunding the police. One of the issues they have with police is qualified immunity. 
But when a player of his did not kneel for the unity speech in support of Black Lives Matter, Coach Adair tried to use qualified immunity to keep her from suing him. Coach Adair's explanations have been consistent. Henning's play contributed to the decision for a lineup change. That's according to the university's lawyers. However, you have to ask the question. This woman had been starting since her freshman year. She spent more time on the bench after her decision to kneel, spent a lot of time receiving verbal harassment from the coach for her decision not to kneel. But then the way he tried to cover his tracks was he replaced her in the starting lineup with another player who also didn't kneel, which begs the question, why did he pick on one and not the other? There's a silver lining here for both sides, and I want to talk about it on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment, and the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, you know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat, and you think, wow, how can I bless someone else. Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Good news for Kirsten Henning, former soccer player at Virginia Tech who said she was benched for not kneeling during a Black Lives Matter supporting unity speech back in a game in 2020, subsequently harassed by the coach to the point where she felt like she had to quit the team, even though she still has two more years of eligibility left. She hasn't been able to play, you know, COVID hit, hasn't been able to play soccer since. The coach, in his defense, said, hey, I made this change because uh, uh, she she wasn't playing well. And see, the other player I used to replace her with uh, didn't, didn't kneel either, so I'm not picking on her and and I have qualified immunity so if you don't like any of my other testimonies you can't testify get me to testify against myself the judge didn't buy it and now Kirsten Henning has been awarded a hundred thousand dollars and the reason that they did I mean some of it will go to legal fees but they were basically she's being refunded the amount of the scholarship that she lost by not being able to play because of her coach's actions now I mentioned before the break that this is a good news story for both sides and you might say, well, yeah, I mean, Virginia Tech doesn't have a problem with it because they didn't have to admit any wrongdoing. But everyone knows that the reason the school has to pay $100,000 to this former player is because they blew it. But here's the good news. The good news is we could have a conversation about the reasons why the school was doing what they were doing. Did they really care? I mean, looking at Virginia's history with slavery, do they really care about an organization like Black Lives Matter or was it politically expedient? Did the coach act in a retaliatory form 
because there's a player that maybe he wasn't so fond of having to start, but she was doing the job well enough for some people, but he was getting pressure to bench her, and he tried to use this as his cover, and he blew it there too. And in all honesty, I mean, if you're the player, let's ask the question. Did she just say, look, I know who BLM is. I've read their website. I can't stand for anything that they support, not knowing what exactly was in the unity speech in the first place. You know, I'll be honest with you. The first question I would have asked as a player when I heard that this was going to happen, they obviously didn't just spring it on them five minutes before game time. There were a lot of staged events like this because tensions were raw. No question about it. But the first question I would have asked if I were the coach is, am I doing this to punish her for not kneeling? Because there were other players, not everybody who knelt. So it's not like she was the only one. He's not just singling her out, but is he using that as his cover? That's a fair question to ask, number one. Number two, Virginia Tech could ask themselves, did we just jump on the bandwagon here or are we really serious about ending police brutality and what are we doing here, especially knowing our state's long history of brutality against African-Americans? And then number three for Kirsten Henning asked the question, would you be opposed to a unity declaration if you didn't think it was pro-BLM? I mean, without having the actual text and knowing what they were going to say, are you so concerned that you taking a knee is going to send the wrong message? It's a fair question to ask because I know a lot of people wind up taking the knee and going to events and wearing masks and banners and armbands and things like that for causes they don't fully understand. The Black Lives Matter organization has raised hundreds of millions of dollars ostensibly to fight this type of corruption. And yet when the Tyree Nichols case happens in Memphis, for example, where five black cops tune up a black kid and wind up killing him or young person. I mean, what, where's BLM? Police brutality against an African-American, where's BLM? Can't fundraise as easily off of that one as you can off of five white cops in, or four white cops in Minneapolis. We have to resist the temptation, brothers and sisters, to jump into the fray like this and have these types of arguments. Remember the battling tops, remember the rock'em sock'em robots. Jesus came to give life and give it abundantly to anyone who would come to him, be drawn near to him. Our salvation comes individually and is transmitted and passed through the power of the Holy Spirit one-to-one, relationship to relationship, not cause to cause, not protest to protest, not uh, kneeling to arm raising to fist pounding. The ministry of God is and was individual because the relationship we have with him is the same. That's the good news and that's the bottom line.